hoity-doody little buckaroo. To you, like animals, we sure do. So come on down to the weekly meeting of the Animal Fan Club. Cuckoo, cuckoo. The cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. And open the door to join us for meeting six of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Uzi B. Meredith. And I'm bigger than a bread box Mike. <laughs> we meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow! So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Mike, you are indeed bigger than a bread box. <laughs> yeah, I'm As not am a, I. <laughs> yeah, I'm not an animal vegetable nor a mineral, but I'm certainly bigger than a bread box. <laughs> Meredith, how was your week? Did you have any fun creature moments? I did. So I guess this is maybe not this week, but this was like when um the temperature was kind of switching over and we had all the windows open. And so there were a lot of bees in the house. Not a lot, but there were like three that I think I was encountering. So one morning, early morning, I'm getting ready in the bathroom. It's like white tile in there. Mm. And I noticed behind me, there's just a bee hanging out on the tile. Okay. And so just doing my thing. And then I turn around and the bee has like switched positions, but it's also like left some sort of like ooze. So there's like it. I don't know if it like barfed or pooped or what. Bee gunk. It, it like bee oozed on the tile and the streak is still there, but it was like this little deposit of like little thin little brown lines. And then there's like a trickle down of like a golden droplet. Huh. I'm like, is that honey? Um, or is this something? I don't know what happened. And then like I looked at the bee closely after I noticed it oozed and it was just like pulsating. I was like, what is going on? Huh. And I tried to look it up. I was like, Typed into Google, like, bee oozed on my wall. Bee ooze. Oozing bees. And then it just kept coming up with, like, this other condition that people have where bees get in their walls. And, like, honey will literally, like, seep through the walls. This is not what's happening. I saw the bee ooze. Then he pulsated. And then he flew away. Okay. Now there's still a streak of golden ooze on my bathroom wall. Well, I have a couple (laughs) things to say. It's definitely not the bee getting into the wall and the honey oozing out because no. it was tile. So it's like tile. we can that is outright. Um you have to be careful when you're looking up bee ooze on the internet because it will autocorrect and ask if you meant booze. Yes. It was like Google like did you mean booze? Did you mean booze? Third of all, I don't know. I mean, I guess I know that bees have honey. They deal in pollen and that there's something called royal jelly that is somehow involved in the like creation of a new queen or something like that yeah so maybe it was some royal jelly <laughs> it's so gross isn't royal jelly like prized yeah i think that it's, it's i think that like the larvae um turn into regular drone bees unless they're given the royal jelly <laughs> and then they become queens but i i don't know i might be i haven't researched that at all this is like yeah this like is 25 years ago that could be completely wrong it's yeah totally i am wrong. completely at a loss as to what i experienced with that pulsating insect on my wall but i mean let us know 
Animal Fan Club Pod at yeah. gmail.com. Yeah, please. share your bee ooze stories. Yes. Have you had a bee ooze on your wall? Were you witness to a pulsating bee thorax? No, but the letter B does factor into what I have to talk about right now, which Please. is the bison nickel that I found <gasps> the day, like, when I got home from us recording the last episode. No, you didn't. Oh, my god! And it was there in my <gasps> little, like, pile of change. I don't think I've seen one in, in years, but oh. it was, um, yeah, a buffalo nickel. And so I looked on the internet to see how much it was worth, and it's worth 10 cents because it's, like, <laughs> it's a heavy circulated, und- undated... Um, yeah, they show up. Bison, 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 nickel. Yeah. Well, what about... I love those kinds of synchronicities. Yeah. And they happen a lot where I'll just like happen to think about somebody and then I'll like I'll look up and there they are. It happens often. Yeah. Like, pretty much every day it happens. And then um, I do have a, a news update that we got sent by a few of our uh, clubbies. Mm. Thanks for the feedback about the uh, silver-backed Chevrotain. Uh, that was photographed yes. last month for the first time. There's an NPR article about that, uh, which is very thrilling. So uh, it, the, the silverbacked Chevrotain is smaller than the Indica, our, yeah. our Indian. And the silverbacked is in Vietnam. Chevrochet. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's smaller. It's like the size of a cat or like a rabbit. It said like a small. I'm assuming not like a big swamp rabbit. No. So that's kind of fun. We've we've it hadn't been seen in thirty years, so that was a thrilling thing. It was kind of considered "quote unquote" lost to science, <gasps> and then a little like field recording, like you know, Chevrotin voyeur cam snapped a still <laughs> shot of a couple of silverbacks just kind of hanging out. Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be fun if just in the, our lone little like our little home shop of this podcast we're doing we're just sending these waves out into the universe resurrecting interest in these long forgotten lost to science animals i'd like to hope that that's one of the many things we're doing (laughs) am i just getting big for my britches i don't know meredith you're not wearing britches you're wearing a sort of dress thing I'm always wearing a sort of dress thing this one is (laughs) mustard color it is mustard color or is it marigold but it's like tr- a light, it's not quite turmeric. It's maybe like Definitely a... Definitely not quite turmeric. It's maybe like a onion salt turmeric blend. <laughs> yeah. It worked well for, um, its shape worked well when I was trying to demonstrate how like, I was trying to demonstrate through the lens of Martha Graham how when a woman gets to a certain point in her pregnancy, her pelvis kind of like split, spreads open. So the big skirt of this dress was really... um. It helped me channel dear dear Martha. <clears throat> well, that's great. Yeah. Love Martha. I do too. She's, Any chance uh, I can get yeah. to like get into a deep squat. I'm all about it. Yeah. I just like to contract a lot. That's what I do. And I, I'm really into bouncing. Yeah. And um, what are those called? Like the, the pleadings when you kind of oh. like go up like that. Yeah. I was playing a class like a couple of weeks ago and it's just it's the pleading sequence. It's afterwards I just like clap for them. I'm yes. like, you guys are good good work, everybody. Yeah. Good work. You know, so much core effort. It's really kind of crazy. Seriously. Seriously. Well, I mean <laughs> we've gotten so off topic. Yeah, I mean, what else is new? Yeah. Well, should we do it? Yeah, I think we should. All I, right. I go first, right? I guess. Oh, that's thrilling. All right. Let's, let's do uh, it. Yeah, ready? Okay. Texana, you. Texana, we. 
Taxana who? Taxana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Duh. Phylum. Chordata. Spine times the right time. Class. Amphibia. Ectothermic tetrapods. Order. Anura. Ribbit time. Frogs. Family. Highly day. Tree frogs and their allies. Genus. Agalichnes. Central America. Species. Calidrius. The red-eyed tree frog. Icon. Poster frog. Always finds their light. Work. <laughs> oh, my God. I, like, again, here we are. We're both doing frogs this We're week. We're both doing frogs this week? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Um, Poster frogs. Poster frogs. Yeah, the... the uh, the red-eyed tree frog is the most iconic of the tree frogs. I can picture I can picture it so clearly right now. Yes, as a frequenter of the Crystal Nature's like, you know, field recording soundtrack, <laughs> like meditation store. Yes, yes. Um, you certainly saw these things on posters, you saw them on folders, t-shirts, t-shirts yes. Like I I feel like by the time we were in middle school. Trapper keepers were mostly like, uh, you know, geometric, like yes. space themed and less right. like nature themed. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the folders and notebooks, you would see this, totally. uh, the red eyed tree frog. So it has those, those big, uh, red, huge red eyes and it has a tropical leafy green on top and these kind yes. of vivid bright blues and yellows on its sides, a stark white ventral surface. Yeah. <laughs> And orange webby toes. Yes. Suction discs. Suction discs. The name, the scientific name of the tree frog, uh, this particular frog, derives from the Greek word kalos, meaning beautiful, and dreas, meaning wood nymph. Oh. It's a beautiful wood nymph. Oh, how precious. Yeah. Um, They are not poisonous, which I feel like, again, seeing this, tree frog icon as a child mm-hmm. that people would say, oh, yeah, this is like a poisonous dart frog or whatever from Brazil. And Shit. they were so wrong because it's not. Get it's out of my head. not poisonous. <laughs> it's not from Brazil. It's from like Central America, like Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Honduras, Nicaragua, yes. Costa Rica, Panama, and then a little bit of Colombia, which I know isn't South America, but like it's, oh, you know. Well, it's, Yeah. Yeah. Frogs don't really know borders. No, they don't. So they're arboreal, which means that they mostly live in trees. Yes. Which is why they're not called flower frogs <laughs> or sedge frogs. <laughs> sedge frogs are probably so, I mean, not to place value judgment on colors, but sedge frogs are probably a little bit more like sedge colored. So like more like dusty greens and browns and grays. Not like these Right, boys. Yeah. They're, the sedge frogs wouldn't be so tropical. Like the tropical ones, you know, they, they're right. into brighter, funner colors. Yeah. So during the day, these ex-tadpoles, they scrunch up into a little ball and they pull their bright red eyes into their skulls. So th- And they, they put their arms up against their sides so only their green parts are exposed. Yeah. So they camouflage into the leaf and like in the sea of green that is the rainforest they just look like you know some sort of plant life so predators don't see them that's their little defense mechanism amazing it's thought that the red eyes could be used to startle predators like as a something is attacking them they open their red eyes and it would scare off the predator yeah uh, which is a diamatic 
behavior, which is the same as like the moths with the eyes on the wings. Yes. It's... Did we talk about this with something else? There we was another did. animal. I brought it up because. With, that was in relation to the skinkaday, I think. That makes sense. Because I think that we were saying, I think that you said that the skinkaday tail removal right. method yes. is that same. So maybe it's, this is like another defensive adaptation. Sure. Sounds like it. These tree frogs are insectivores. They eat mm-hmm. crickets, moths, grasshoppers, flies, and other insects. Mm-hmm. After they eat an insect, their eyes roll back into their skull and it's like help. so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That ant colony was amazing. <sighs> That's gross. <laughs> No, the eyes roll back into the skull to help push the food down their throat, what? which that's is somehow ins- less gross, right? <laughs> that's insane. Have you Can ever imagine if we did that? It would be so funny. <laughs> but I, I think that's kind of when I first learned that as a child, I imagined like, wouldn't the eyeballs rolling down the esophagus like, wouldn't they get stomach acid on them? And like, insects are kind of yes. like pointy. Like, wouldn't that be bad? But now I guess I realize that, like, the esophagus is, like, a separate throat tube and, like, the eyes kind of maybe just, like, push down on it. But it's still really weird, right? That is so – that's up there with one of – like, that, that's up there with bee ooze. Like, that's so strange to me. But ooze. <laughs> but ooze. Um, they have a nictitating membrane over their eyes. It's a whitish or translucent membrane, and it forms, like, a third eyelid. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be pulled down to protect it from, like, dust or keep it moist. Okay. It's like it's a like lot of... eye awning. I like eye awning. <laughs> More fun anatomy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's tympanum, which is the eardrum, is on the outside. And so if you look at a frog, you can see, like, kind of where the ears would be, where you would expect lobal ears. Yes. That there's just a circular shape, and that's the tympanum. <gasps> Similar to timpani. Similar to timpani, yeah. Same root word. Yeah. And timpanum Tim- is like an uh, archaic term for a type of drum as yeah. well. Timpani are the, they're frequently called kettle, kettle drums. drums. Ugh, gross. <laughs> so I call them the tubs sometimes, so I guess I can't really. <laughs> but yeah, timp- timpani are, uh, you have to tune them. Yeah. They're kind of, it's hard because it's, it's like where percussionists have to deal with intonation for yes. the first time. Yes. So it's a really good place to like show um, your uh, level of ability or yeah, lack your of oral level of ability, ability. Your, or oral, yes, oral. <laughs> Save the oral oral ability for somewhere else. The inner ear is connected to the lungs, so it can hear approaching predators through its chest. This frog has such weird like connections between systems that we don't necessarily relate to that's true and like (laughs) that's crazy like our inner ear connects through the eustachian tube to our mouth Mm -hmm. ear nose throat region right that's why like you go to an ent yeah you know if you have health insurance then there's like (laughs) extra steps to the lung but it seems like it developed this system these these frogs did just that because it you know yeah. this is the natural selection thing where it's like well some of the frogs had this and they just fared better and yeah. over time the statistics play out and those are the ones that survive exactly so we're gonna start with mating okay and reproduction generally with these frogs the larger the male the older the male and the more desirable the male to females so old equals let's get it on 
Yes. Okay. Lady frogs like a bigger, older male. They like a silver tree frog. The red-eyed tree frog reproduces through amplexus, and that's where the male, who's smaller than the female, hops on the back mm-hmm. of, of the female and holds on for several hours as the, well. as the woman kind of hops around during the oviposition process. <laughs> oviposition is the process of laying eggs. Well, that sounds less fun. Yeah, during the <laughs> egg laying process. So the woman kind of hops around and she lays her eggs on leaves that are over puddles or, or pools of water or yep. ponds, yep. Um, usually on both sides of the leaf. And the male fertilizes the eggs as she lays them. Yeah. There's a video on YouTube and it's a different red-eyed tree frog. This is the red-eyed green tree frog, Agalictus saltator. And it's mating in Costa Rica in the year 2002. <laughs> and it just kind of shows a big, like, mating party in the rain. Um, oh. It's fun. It reminds me of, like, you know, like I said, the aforementioned, like, field recordings uh-huh. in the crystal store. Because it's just these gentle sounds of rain. And then, like, you kind of hear, like, the frogs ribbiting. But the visuals are just, like, all these frogs are, like, climbing over each other on these trees and everything. And, like, some of the guys are, you know, positioned in their amplexus pose on the back of a female, and then other guys are, like, trying, and then, like, females are, like, scurrying out from under them and everything. Oh, gosh. So it's just kind of a little crazy. Is there, like, seal playing in the background? He's like, we try to get by unless we get a little crazy. Yeah, that song's always, that specific song is always playing in my heart, for the record. <laughs> I so love shout seal. out to you, Anne. <laughs> It's like a singles bar in there. Yes, that's what I'm, that's what yeah, I'm sensing. It really is. I'm seeing like a 90s singles bar because for some reason I associate like rainforest awareness and all that imagery with the 90s. Like Paula Abdul had the whole like promise of a new day video with the rainforest shit. And like, and also I was just coming up then and obsessed with everything rainforest. So this yeah. is personal. Yeah. It was a good time for being knowledgeable about the rainforest. <laughs> The rainforest. The tropical rainforest. What was that? That was a, it was like a video we watched in elementary school about the rainforest. It was like these fake like jungle beats and some woman like the rainforest. The tropical rainforest. The video that I most clearly remember being shown in school was in our sixth grade health class. Oh, no. That's and bad. It, it was, um, I graduated high school in the year 2004. We were the class of 2004. Seems. But this video was, we are the smoke-free class of 2000. <laughs> it was so funny to me. I was like, why would they make that? Like, it has such a short shelf life. I know. That has a one-year shelf life. You know they just swap the year out. Yeah. Maybe they were like, we could film one every year, man. We'll be rich. <laughs> Smoke PSA money. A bunch of like writers smoking cigarettes. Smoking, like course. out by the loading dock, you know. <laughs> After six to seven days of us like talking about our smoke-free class of 2000, <laughs> uh, the eggs hatch from these leaves and the tadpoles just like fall right into the water below. Yeah. Uh, the red-eyed tree frog displays developmental plasticity or phenotypic plasticity. Uh, so the environment can cause the tadpoles to hatch early if they perceive a threat. So the entire oh. clutch of about 40 eggs wow. can just hatch simultaneously and fall into the water if there's like a predator or an environmental change such as a significant rainstorm or maybe a flood. 
just as a method of survival. So it that's interesting to me that they can just kind of like get out early and then like swim away. Yeah, that's crazy. So the tadpoles are then in the water for three weeks to several months, depending on their larval development and the environmental conditions. Uh, after the metamorphosis is complete, the young frogs live in the undergrowth near their natal ponds. Natal ponds. Natal ponds, I know. It sounds like something WC would have written a song cycle about. Isn't it cute? Yeah. They reach maturity after two years, and they mate around like three or four years. Okay. In captivity, they typically live up to five years. Wow, okay. Yeah. That feels like a good age for a frog. Sure. I guess I... I'm surprised it takes them so long to start reproducing. That was surprising to me, given some of the statistics we've heard about, like, rabbits right that was like a pretty fast turnaround or yeah. maybe i'm thinking of another one but i don't remember specifically but there are other animals that were like ready to get yeah i think I it mean, was the swamp rabbit because we were saying that if they were born like right at the beginning of the birthing season then that by the end of it they might be ready to reproduce yeah, they're fertile myrtles ready to go but not these tree frogs they take a little longer they take their time yeah they're like a patient penelope fertile myrtles patient penelopes it takes all types. It sure does, Meredith. <laughs> so I have a fun fact. Okay. The red-eyed tree frog can jump 20 times its body length. Yes, go. That would be like if I could jump 120 feet. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I, can't, I would love to see that. I'm picturing it. It's like 40 yards. It's great. It's like a little hop. And then there's a whoa, you know. Yeah, it's you put little effort in and you're just that much further down the street. Yeah, well, after I would land, I would have to, like, use my tongue to, like, get a cricket off the floor well, or something. naturally. You know? I'd, like, hop and then be like, pow. <laughs> did you ever play Donkey Kong Country on Super Nintendo? I don't think I did. Which one was that? That was the one um, with Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong. They're just trying to get back the banana horde. But they had all these creatures that you would get, like especially like you would know a secret place to like pick up one of the creatures mm -hmm. and one of them my favorite one was winky the tree frog and so you would jump on winky and you could like jump extra far so like just a normal you know like what was it like b would be jump uh-huh if you had winky you would like you would have like extra jump ability as in, like, you would go further or you would further, go higher or I think both? both. Oh, wow. Both. And he was my favorite with Rim Rimba, the uh, rhinoceros, who could run fast and could, like, bust shit down huh. with her horns. But I loved that video game because it was, like, so animal-focused. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But Winky, tree frog. Good old Winky the tree frog. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, do you have any particular questions about the this specific tree frog before I leave you with my final my final words? I don't. I would have, but I don't because of my particular report. Sure. Don't you peek? I'm not peeking, Meredith. I'm you not close peeking. your little red eyes. Roll them back in my roll head. Your, roll those eyes back into your head. Don't peek at my project. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff I think we can discuss after mine because i think a lot of my questions will be too revealing and or direct given the knowledge i've gained through this research i see yes all right well uh then my parting words in case you're having red-eyed tree frog house guests <laughs> the optimum temperature for red-eyed tree frogs is 75 to 85 degrees fahrenheit that's 24 to 29 degrees celsius that's mm -hmm. in the daytime 
Mm-hmm. And then at night, they like it a little cooler, like 66 to 77 degrees right. Fahrenheit or 19 to 25 degrees Celsius. These guys seem kind of similar to my temperature preferences. Well, I guess stay tuned for the next animal where we talk about additional frogs. <laughs> yes. Oh, let's take a break. Hey, you there, sloth friend. Want to know what it feels like to be a cheetah? Whoa, what do you mean? I've got something that'll make you run, make you jump, and make you swing. What is it? It's new from brand clubby, Sloth Spazzies. Just snort one of these bad boys and you'll be swinging through that understory like a goddamn spider monkey. Me? A spider monkey? But that's just not possible. Take it from me, buddy. Sloth spazzies will send you from the forest floor to the emergent lair. Or your money back. Are there any side effects? Other than infertility and your inevitable damnation to the fifth circle of hell, nah, buddy, you're golden. Buy one today from yours truly. Mike, what have you got? Riker. It's good for a big, strong dog. It's a Danish name. It means superior strength. It's rising in popularity. It's trendy. <laughs> and I think it's a really great name for, like, it. when you yell the name out at the dog park, I don't think there's going to be any other Rikers there. Oh, no. And I don't think it's good for, like, a Bichon Frigé or, like, uh, any kind of, like, terrier or spaniel or anything like that. I think that this is, like, a working dog name. Yes. And, like, it is, it is for, like, a strong, like, capable breed. Like, maybe, like, a, a retriever or, like, some sort of shepherding dog or yeah. perhaps um, even a... German Shepherd or mm-hmm. a Malamute like that. I think it's a great name for that type of dog. Totally. Totally. On that note, I've got Hobbs, which is the name of that Dracaena plant right over there at the window. Um, Cause when I was buying that plant uh, at the, <coughs> on the- <coughs> I met a dog who was like a fluffy ass shepherd. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what is his name? And the owner's like, his name's Hobbs. Oh. I was like genius. I love Hobbs. So that plant right there is named after a dog? It is. It's named after a dog I bought when I... I didn't buy the dog. I bought the plant. I met the dog when I bought the plant. Hobbes. I think that the name Aphrodite, (laughs) which is the Greek goddess of love, romance, and beauty, whose son Eros is the god of love, though Mm -hmm. he was not an Olympian. Got it. I think Aphrodite is a great name for a pet sea urchin. Mmm. Anytime anybody goes to Greece, I always hear about how they went swimming in the water and how they saw all these sea urchins and like some of them like creeped up on the sea urchins a little too close and they got all these like spiny bits in them and other ones just kind of like saw the sea urchins like over there. I think of the sea urchin as a very like Grecian creature. Sure. But they're also like pretty 
peace loving generally, as long as you don't like stick your hand on them. Yeah, you know, they kind of just like float around. Yeah, they kind of mind their own biz. Yeah, I think they're kind of romantic. Yeah. Oh, thank you for shining a new light on the urchins. Anytime. Often I'm thinking of pet names in terms of cats because I just want a cat so bad. Uh-huh. Um, so a name, anybody who like was anywhere near me through my undergrad probably heard about my campaign to name a kitten Fish Sticks. Fish with S-T-I-X. Oh. Fish Sticks. Okay. Sturdy kitten name. Yeah. I mean, no explanation needed. Fish Sticks. I would think that that's like a cat that skateboards. Sure. Yeah, a little Heathcliff action, maybe. Like a cat that's just like a little like cool backwards cap, a spot over its eye. Mm, I like Fish that. sticks. Also, you should go before I keep going with kitten names. Okay, okay. Well, I would like to break up your kitten name fest by offering a name for a rodent. Yes. I think a good name for a gerbil is Dr. Chomp Chomp Esquire. What? Well, Amazing. Yeah, I think Chomp Chomp is kind of like Bam Bam, but like for rodents, which totally. I think is like really fun. And I think in general, rodents can benefit from honorifics. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Chomp Chomp is fun. And then Mr. Chomp Chomp Esquire is also fun. And so I think if you combine the two and turn it into Dr. Chomp Chomp Esquire, then it's super duper fun. Super fun and super accomplished. Yeah. A doctorate. And a law degree? Yeah, a medical doctor and a and a ju- jurist <laughs> doctor, a doctor of law. Yeah. I look at you define medical doctor as opposed to us doctors of philosophy. Yeah. Because well, what do we do? I do. It's a it's a distinction. I have to <laughs> I have gotta. to make that distinction frequently. Dr. Chomp Chomp Esquire. What an accomplished little gerbil. Yeah, he's really done it. And then my third, I actually stole from Sesame Street because I'm still in disbelief that this randomness happened. Or maybe not. But there was some character on Sesame Street years ago with a little Muppet cat, and its name was Little Murray Sparkles. That's a great cat name. That's a very sturdy cat name. That is the sturdiest of cat names. Yeah. So one day, I will have a cat named Nacho. I will have a cat named Fish Sticks, And I will also have a cat named Little Murray Sparkles. I love that for you. I'm going to have a big, strong dog named Riker. I'm going to have a pet sea urchin named Aphrodite, and I'm going to have a pet gerbil named Dr. Chomp Chomp Esquire. I love it. And I'm also going to just have a fluffy shepherd of some sort named Hobbs. What a collection of sturdy pet names. Yeah. Can't wait for more. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Oh, I love them. Phylum. Cordata. Stand up straight. Class. Amphibia. They like it dry and wet. Order. And Neura. Tailless amphibians. Family. Dendrobitae. They're bright, they're lethal. Genus. Phylobates. Frogs from Central and South America. Species. Phylobates terribles. It's the golden poison frog. We both did froggies. We both did froggies. Terribles. Yes. I went with Terribles. There are some options here. I knew I wanted to do a poison dart frog, which you really like took the wind out of those sails, Mike. But how could you have known? Mine was non-poisonous. No, I know. I know. But you mentioned them. I did. You did. So maybe this is actually perfect. You didn't take the wind out of my sails. You put it under my sails. It's a little compare and contrast, lethal versus non-lethal. Yeah. So it actually did set me up for some... Um, good expl- explanatory points. So 
uh, how like the tree frog that you talked about is a little bit different than these poison frogs, poison uh-huh. dart frogs. The Phyllobatis terribilis, it's the golden poison frog. I went with this species for a couple reasons. One being that I love all things rainforest and it's always been a major dream of mine. Despite the amount of inoculation, 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 that I'd have to go through, <laughs> fist bump, fist bump, <laughs> that I'd have to go through to make it there. But I've just always loved all things rainforest. I had like a rubber stamp set. I went to see the like OmniMax, which is Cincinnati's version of IMAX. Well, the OmniMax is like the IMAX Plus. It's like a sphere. Yeah, it's like a domed visual experience, and it's so fun. Anybody that grew up in Cincinnati like definitely went there on multiple field trips. We had one in Cleveland at the big science museum downtown. An OmniMax? Hell yeah. Oh, I didn't know they existed outside of Cincinnati. Yeah, they're omnipresent. That's. <laughs> Wait, did yours have that thing where it opened? Like you could see the speakers in the background? Yeah, they'd like do that whole like thing where they'd be like, "Look at the OmniMax experience." Yeah, and they had the speakers talk and stuff. Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh! Did they? Did you do the light tunnel at the beginning of everything where they like shot you through this light tunnel? Uh, I don't remember specifically a light tunnel or not a light tunnel. Oh my gosh! Possible. It's possible. This is amazing. It's kind of like the beginning of like the um, what's that ride at Disney World? Space Mountain. Maybe. I've never been to Disney World, so I've never oh. ridden Space Mountain. You're lost. My favorite Disney World memory was walking around, <laughs> and we overheard a family walking past, and the mom was, like, really planning the details. She's like, well, we can go to Tomorrowland, and then after that, we can fast pass on Pooh, and then we can go to that. And the kid was like, Mom, that sounds disgusting. Like, I'm talking about the Winnie the Pooh ride. Steven, get your mind out of the gutter. I know how to fast pass on Pooh. It's called quinoa. It is a and super kale. Damn. <laughs> Any superfoods, really, acai. Yeah, get that poop fast passing. I love it. Anyway, so yeah, I, there was like a whole rainforest thing at the Omnimax. It was just big shit for little Meredith. And so the second thing is that actually the poison dart frog was the first animal report I ever remember doing in elementary school. Ooh. And other than I did write a picture book entitled when will my cat lose her fleas by Meredith? Um, which my mom still has. And it was this very detailed exploration of all the places my cat could not go because of her fleas. Um, she couldn't go on the couch. She couldn't go on the TV. She no. couldn't go on the wing chair. All these things where Pumpkin the cat was not allowed to go. Pumpkin J. Jurgens. Pumpkin J. Jurgens. She was confined to the floor unless my dad wasn't in the room and then I think, come up on the couch, Pumpkin. Flora Kitty would become Couch Kitty. <laughs> Kitty becomes couch kitty. I loved a couch kitty. So poison dart frog. Let's break this down. So poison. These froggies are so toxic. They could knock out you. They could knock out me. They could knock out pretty much the entire floor of this apartment building with just like the tiniest drop. Wow. That's probably about like 20 people. It said 10 to 20 people or two large African elephants, which is nuts. And this is like the tiniest little bit. And also these frogs are about the size of a paperclip. So when you see pictures of poison dart frogs, they're always so up close because the colors are just gorgeous. They really color, they 
cover like the gamut of the rainbow. Mm. You've got like strawberry ones, blue ones, yellow, yeah, yellow and black. Yeah. Gorgeous. This, beautiful. These beautiful like Central colors. American frogs are, are beautiful because that, that's, you know, you kind of see the other ones when you're yeah, around <laughs> exactly. your frog knowledge. Yeah. Getting that frog knoll. Yeah. So these guys, they're just gorgeous, gorgeous colors. But what's interesting about this is this coloration, it's a deterrent, and it's called aposmatic signaling or advertising. So what I was wondering if you were going to touch on with yours, but it seems like yours actually has a very different form of defense in that its bright coloration helps it camouflage with the leaves when it kind of curls up into its little pod. Yes. Whereas these guys are so brightly colored that... That is a signal to other species that they would be undesirable to eat. So it's like, in addition to high toxicity, there's this other warning sign. Like, I'm so brightly colored, this should be a deterrent to you. Jaguars, monkeys, eagles, whatever lives in the rainforest, whatever predators there would be out there. So it's like, it's advertising and saying, stay away. Yes. This is where you don't want to go. It's like the equivalent of like an orange construction barrel. Yes. Or just kind of that, like a big red X or like that prohibitive thing, the circle with like the slash through it, you Mm. know, like don't enter. Yeah. Stay away. Wet floor. Wet floor. (laughs) Um, So it's called aposmatic signaling. What I'm so curious about evolution wise, is this like a learned behavior? Is this instinctual? where brightly colored things are just known to be toxic? Like, where do they know this? How do they learn this? Or is it just ingrained within them to stay away from things that are that bright? It feels like it would have to be ingrained. Because, like, by learning it, you would then die. Right. Yeah, the only way to learn it, especially given the high, high, high toxicity of these guys. I mean, the second half of that binomial nomenclature is terribleis. Because they're so fucking poisonous. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. Terribleis. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, so it's actually the way this poison works in particular. And so I do want to draw a distinction between something that's poisonous versus venomous. So like a snake, for instance, a venomous snake, there's a way that it's del- like the venom is delivered via fangs. And it's a means of capturing prey. The venom is used itself to like service the animal in some way. Different creatures have different venoms that are specifically designed to help them eat right so they have some sort of apparatus to inject their prey with this venom whereas something that's poisonous it's just kind of how they are they're just inherently poisonous Mm. and so it's it's a deterrent it's not a means of catching and debilitating prey defense versus offense exactly perfect way to sum it up sports sports the particular toxin, and again, this is very sciencey, so this is out of my wheelhouse, but it's a it's a, like an alkaloid toxin called a batrachotoxin. The word batrachos is actually Greek for frog. Oh. So this is very clearly linked with this particular kind of toxin is linked with these guys. Say you were to like touch one of these guys in the wild and then like lick your finger. Fun. Um, Sounds like a trip. A trip straight to your coffin. Ooh. Yeah. It will debilitate you in the in the way that it um, essentially makes all your muscles seize up. And then it can like lead to heart failure and paralysis and death. And I think given that just the tiniest amount would kill 10 to 20 of us, uh-huh. you can pretty much sure shoot and know that you're going to, if you ingest some of this toxin from a frog in the wild, you're done. Wow. You're straight up laid out tits up by 
Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good time. No, it sounds like a pretty awful death. Sounds terrible. (laughs) Indeed. But what's so interesting about these guys is they think it's postulated that this toxin accumulates in these frogs. It's like in their skin and on their surface through the through their diet, which is a lot of like ants and arthropods, beetles and things like that. So it's unclear as to what species of insect creates such a high level of toxicity, which would mean that if these frogs are one of the most poisonous things on the planet, then that beetle too, or that ant or whatever insect they're ingesting is also extremely, extremely poisonous, but they're just not sure what it is. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting because you are what you eat. Exactly. They have to be obtaining this mm-hmm. something that's poisonous. To That's interesting. Yeah. So it's not something they're just naturally creating. It's based on their diet. So as a result, these little guys, um, when you see them in zoo exhibits and stuff, they're actually not poisonous because they're living off of a more like easily findable like mealworms, things like that. Yeah, crickets. Crickets and things that are, you know, I guess native or available in whatever area, zoo, preserve, whatever they're living in. So, and even these these guys, if they're somehow taken from the wild and then raised in captivity, they'll gradually lose their toxicity as their diet changes. Hmm. Yeah, so the guys you see in the zoo are not toxic. Cool to know. Which is kind of reassuring, I guess, for the zookeepers. Definitely. (laughs) That could be dealing with some potentially horribly uh, poisonous frogs. And going along with that as well, so there is, um, there's a multiple tribe. So these guys are natives of Colombia, northwestern side of the continent of South America. Though frogs know no borders, as we've established. Yes, frogs do not know borders. (laughs) Um, And so they are highly valuable to the indigenous tribes that inhabit the Columbia region. So primarily, I may be mispronouncing this tribe name, but the Chaco Embera, they expose, very carefully expose these little froggies to heat and it causes them to exude their poison. And then so they will just get the tiniest bit on their, um, the points of their arrows and then that toxin will remain potent for like two years. Like the arrow can kill you for two years. Yeah. That's- the toxin doesn't necessarily degrade that quickly. So these guys fucking mean business. Yeah, they are they are not fucking around. They're no. ready to kill you. Right. They're terrible. So a couple more just fun facts about these guys. I'm ready. So they're pretty social. They hang out with each other, but they don't poison each other because they're not, I guess they're immune to this because it's in the bugs they're eating. They're just all cool with each other. Yeah. They don't really get very aggressive with one another in t- unless it comes to mating. Like all of us, right? Wow. <laughs> like some of us, Meredith. I'm very impressed with some of their these like little facts associated with dominance and courtship. So these guys Ooh. are actually known as like one of the smarter, more intelligent of the Anuras. So like frogs are Anuras. Okay. Anura, it's a... T- okay. Because, yeah, it, that's the order. Order. So, like, class would be amphibian. And then order is where it breaks down into frogs. And then in family, dendrobitae. Dendrobatidae is where you get into poison dart frogs. Uh-huh. That's where mine separated. And was yeah. The holiday. Uh, the, the tree frogs and their allies. <laughs> tree frog allies for the vibe. So, when these guys, like, one of their things for dominance is that they um, 
their displays of dominance is that they do like push-ups for each other. Cool. <laughs> so I didn't look to see if there's a video of this, but I'm dying to see these like tiny little paperclip sized frogs doing like doing like push-ups. Being like, I go to CrossFit. <laughs> it just sounds so cute. Yeah, bro. Um, and these lethal ass little frogs just doing push-ups for fun. Do another set of 20, bro. Yeah, exactly. There's like their coach. He's got a little sweatband on. Soaked with poisonous sweat. They just, they seem like so adorably unaware of how poisonous they are. Because these pictures, they all just look so peaceful and just kind of like plump and happy. And they could just wipe out an apartment building. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're terrible. Meanwhile, in terrible land, um, these guys are tactile during courtship. This is pretty much lifted from Wikipedia because, again, just this sentence is so funny. Tactile during courtship, meaning stroking of the head, the back, the flanks, and the cloacal areas prior to egg deposition. That sounds sensual. It does, doesn't it? Um, so it seemed kind of similar to how the the red-eyed tree frog did did the business. So the ladies will lay the eggs after this stroking, and then they're uh, fertilized externally, and they kind of hang out in this spot. And then once the tadpoles hatch, they kind of like get up on daddy's back and then stick to the back. So there's actual pictures you can see with these frogs with like tadpoles all stuck on their back. Oh, so the, the, the dad sticks around. Oh, yeah. They're very doting parents. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're very caring, loving parents. And the dad will transport them to these pools of water, often forming in the leaves of a bromeliad. Do you know what a bromeliad bromeliad is? I encountered the term in my frog research. I know that it's a tubular plant. Yeah. they're it's bromeliads. I mean, tubular plants, bro. <laughs> totally. Well, they are tubular because I also found out... Thank you, Stephen Vivian, that – are you 86 or are you 85? 86. Yeah, that's not you. T. Gray. T. Gray. So I'm the year of the ox in 85. So um, it was considered good luck this year for people in the year of the ox to have a bromeliad in their home. Do you have a bromeliad? I don't. I've been looking for one. I can't find one. I might, I'm not also not looking very hard. You see them um, at, like, the flower shops outside of the, like, bodegas and stuff. Mm. They, they're, like, these leafy plants that kind of come up, like – this and then there's like kind of a red flowering top. You'd probably know it if you saw it. It's, probably. it's a fairly common house plant. Sure. But we'll so, find a picture and post it on the inter- of, Instagram. Of course. Of course. On the Instagram. <laughs> so these pools of water form in the leaf structure of these bromeliads and the tadpoles grow up there. And then the parents lead them back to like the frog base. Frog base out. Wait. Okay. <laughs> So they, so let me just like recap. Yes. So they lay the eggs and then the parents wait for the eggs to hatch. And then the dad carries them on his back to their natal pool. Are we saying? Their bromeliad. Their bromeliad. Their natal bromeliad. Their natal bromeliad. And then like after they like metamorphosize into frogs, then they're led back to the secret undisclosed location of the frog base. Yes. Where the rest of the frogs live. Yeah. That's pretty terrible. Isn't it? No, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. That, that's pretty magnificent. I kind of like to picture there's like, it's like a coming, it's like froggy debutante, you know, when they're led back and sure. like brought back into society and like introduced to the colony. It's given a new name. That's fun. I like that. Yeah. I kind of love how smart and how the parents really love the brood and really kind of see them through their most vulnerable stage in life. 
How pleasant. Right? How can something so toxic be just so inspiring? You'd have to ask Britney Spears. I took the words right out of my mouth. That was really informative, Meredith. I kind of love that we, I feel like we maybe both had the same thought of like amphibians are unrepresented in yes. our chordata. We kind of need to hit them. And then we've done like the the different animals and chordata generally. Right. And um, I think it's really funny that when we both thought like, well, tree frogs, and I was thinking of the most iconic of the tree frogs, which I, you know, had been told was a poison dart frog incorrectly. And then mm-hmm. you went with the poison dart frog, which is probably like the, you know, I'd say that we have like the most iconic, most photographed, and then like, the most iconic, most talked about like, yes. types of frogs. Yeah. So I think that's really fun. Totally. Great work. Yeah, good frog party. <laughs> uh, break? Break. Break. <sighs> Olivia, I want a dorsal fin reduction. Ugh, Roxanne, I wish my pectoral flippers were beefier. My beak could be a little bit narrower. My left fluke is a smidge longer than my right fluke, causing me much consternation. I wish my median notch was a bit more pronounced. You know, Roxanne, my friend was telling me recently that they got a melon lift. You mean Corey, right? She went to a sturgeon. A plastic sturgeon, Dr. Chesapeake. I've seen Dr. Chesapeake's advertisements all over the tri-state area. Dr. Peake offers an intro package for cetaceans new to plastic sturgery. Two flippers or flukes for the price of one. Wow, sounds like I could afford to get all of my modified limbs further modified. You sure could. Corey was saying there's also a surgical combination deal. Buy a beak narrowing, get a dorsal fin reduction free. What a bargain. I can't imagine you could combine all those crazy things. Of course not. Dr. Chesapeake has to pay all their employees and maintain high-quality surgical equipment, which isn't cheap. Let's swim on down to Dr. Chesapeake's office for our free consultation. These deals are non-transferable with a limit of five deals per pod, so we better swim swiftly. (laughs) Well, here we are. We found ourselves back in the listener feed bag. Yes. Uh, so we got a couple questions from all you listeners. Thank you. Again, send them in, animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We're here to answer your questions. We are not experts. We are here to answer, though. So Sally in Seattle asks, how high does a snake wear his pants? Wow, Sally, that's a great question. It is a great question. I think first I would like to just say that for the sake of this question, like pants... I think of pants as generally having two legs, you right. know? And so for a snake, it, it might be more sock-like, but we're going to refer to it as the snake's pants. Right. Or I also like the idea of it just filling one leg and the other leg is just for treasures. Oh, I like that a lot, too. Yeah. Or like molting, like old... He um... <laughs> put his old skin in that leg of pant. Yeah. <laughs> That's really gross. I like the empty pant leg. I do too. But always with a belt. Yeah. Always cinched. Cinched. Okay. So what do we know about squamates? I guess we know that, I think that, I think that the pant would at least cover the cloaca and the anal plate. At the very least. At the very least. Yeah. But I don't know how much higher than that it would come. I mean, are these like hip huggers? Are these high-waisted to be like really current? Are they a wide leg? Well, I'm getting outside of the realm of the question, but... I feel like they're definitely not overalls because there's no (laughs) shoulders for the straps to go over. But 
I think that like depending on the region and the level of fashion in of the snake, I guess there is a certain amount of variability. Yeah. Um, but I think that all of them would at, at the very least cover the anal plate. Yeah. So the fish position is at the very least anal plate coverage. Yeah, I think that that's the fish. I agree strongly, firmly that okay. that is the fish position. All right. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> Frank from Omaha asks, are sea anemones intimidated by the mad dance skills of the so-called tube man dancing in front of most used car lots? That tube man is my favorite dance inspiration. Yeah. That's my dance inspo. I was just doing it yesterday for some people at work. I I live and die by the tube man. It's a good it's a good dance inspiration. It's uh, I I did a little bit of research regarding this question and the tube man was invented in 1996. <laughs> By a man named Peter, who a child of the '90s, is an artist from Trinidad and Tobago, and like, of course, that dancing tube man was like thought up by somebody from Trinidad. That's amazing. I think that that little nugget of information that we have, though, answers our question. I think that the anemones have been doing these underwater dance moves for millions of years at this point, perhaps. Yeah, and that this uh, this tube man has only really like twenty. 24 years of dance experience under his sort of um i don't know air handling unit it's not he doesn't wear a belt (laughs) some of them do i've seen it oh really (laughs) yeah i think that it's the other way i think that the anemone kind of looks down at the dancing skills of the tube man yeah i would say either they're like simpatico or the dancing tube man should be intimidated by the sea anemone Uh uh-huh because these sea anemones got those moves for millions of years. Yeah. Tube man just learned them. Right. And I would assume that the anemones would have like traditions of movement, you know, different schools of movement. Sure. Whereas I feel like tube man is just kind of like a sort of free form improvisation. It's like very anti-technical. Right. He's a will of the wisp. Mm. There's not much thought going into that. So I guess the official position is that the sea anemones are not intimidated by the mad dance skills of the so-called tube man dancing in front of most used car lots. Agreed. Ding, 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 ding. So Fulton from Fulton, Missouri asks, do flies think I'm dirty? Um, well, Fulton, I guess I would have to be in proximity. Where did you say Fulton was from? Fulton. Missouri. Missouri. Mm. (laughs) I can kind of relate to Fulton's question because, you know, when like flies land and they're always just like cleaning themselves, are they disgusted? They like land on you and they're automatically like trying to take a bath. What's up with that? Aren't they like regurgitating a little bit? Isn't that like the way that flies work is they like puke on their food a little bit and then they eat it? Are they puking on us and then cleaning it up? I'm so confused. I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, I'm also a little bit confused about that particular point. But I feel like what we really have to consider here is like, what does a fly find clean and what does a fly find dirty? Maybe it's a realm of opposites. That's what I'm thinking. I'm wondering if our friend in Fulton is like, it it just depends on their hygiene practices. I think if they're very clean, maybe a fly would find them repulsive. But if they're like a little grungosaurus rex. Grimy timey. Then I think that maybe the fly would find them clean. Right. So maybe Fulton, you should ask, do flies think I'm clean? 
I think that for an answer to this question, we need Fulton to ask the people around them. Fulton, are you dirty? Are you dirty, Fulton? So is our fish position that we don't know? Yeah. I don't know, Fulton. I'd have to smell you to tell you. The fish positions we don't know. Ding, ding, ding. 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 All right. That was a great trip inside the listener feedback. <laughs> Send us your questions. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Hey, everybody, this is the end of the episode, but we just wanted to do a quick B-Ooze update because during the recording of this episode, we took a field trip <laughs> to the site of the B-Ooze, and so I would like to offer my fresh perspective. Please. It looks like somebody, so it the vibe that it was giving me was like, you know when somebody pukes on the sidewalk and then like four days later you see it for the first time and it hasn't rained, right? but like... It's kind of washed away a little bit, but it's still kind of like crusty on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. It looked like that, but with a B on like a wall in an apartment. You know what I mean? It was kind of like crusty and faded. Yeah. So I think that the B, I think that's B vomit. And that's, um, that's my opinion. Okay. So we had a sick little B. In your B room. (laughs) In your B closet. Well, at least he knew where to go. Yeah, that was nice of him. Well, yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks for... Okay, goodbye. (laughs) Bye. But ooze. But I. (laughs) Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Juergens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.